0: This morning, would you open up to the Gospel of John? Gospel of John chapter 7, what we'll be doing in the upcoming weeks, uh, Sunday mornings we'll be going through the Gospel of John, on uh, Wednesday evening we'll be going through the book of Exodus, and on Sunday evening we'll be doing the book of Daniel. So uh, we want to invite you to come and be a part you, have opportunity to, to be able to uh, just hear the Word of God three different times a week and to, and to study and realize for each of us, where does our faith deepen? How does our faith deepen? Faith comes by what? Hearing? Hearing the Word of God. And so we want to give as much opportunity, the plan that we have set forward means in the next seven years, we will have gone all the way through the Bible from book, from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. So uh, hopefully we have seven years left. We'll see what, uh, what the Lord does, and if the Lord tarries, we're excited, but we want to move forward and, and uh, bring the Word to you. So that's what we'll be doing. This morning, as we take a look at John chapter 7, we're seeing Jesus enter into a time in His ministry, really, if you can imagine such a thing, where He is lost quite a bit of popularity, right? John chapter 6, all those people who were following Jesus because He fed them, when Jesus said to them that, that they must eat of his body and drink of his blood, they, they must ingest, they must make Jesus a part of them, inside of them. When he was laying that teaching out for them, they, they couldn't see what Jesus was saying, and the people left. Remember, Jesus looked to his disciples and he said, Are you going to leave too? You remember what Peter said? Who else? Who else has words of life, words that ring true of eternal life? Where else will we go? And Jesus said to him, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Speaking of Judas, the one who would betray him. And as we look at this, as we see what's going on in the life of Jesus, we see that though he has proclaimed himself as Messiah... The people are not ready to receive Messiah. The people's eyes are not prepared. And those whose hearts should have been ready to reveal, to point and say, like John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist in John chapter 1 and 2, when he pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That is what should have been happening with the scribes and the Pharisees. Weren't they studiers of the word? But you see... What happens in life, what happens in church, is we can become all about religion and not about relationship. What does religion? Religion means to bind up. And that's what the Pharisees and scribes had done. They had bound up the people in all these rules and regulations the Bible didn't talk about. The Bible said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It didn't say you couldn't carry your sick bed on that day. The Bible didn't say you couldn't carry your bed. Who said you couldn't carry your bed? Scribes and Pharisees. The Bible didn't say you couldn't heal. Who said you couldn't heal? The scribes and the Pharisees. Interpreting God's law, interpreting God's word, and teaching as God's word the commandments of men. And that ought not to be done. We need to take God's word for what God's word says. And not apply our own interpretation and say now this is what you must do in order to to be righteous before God. Yet that's what the Pharisees had done. Jesus coming into this time in John chapter 7 comes before, (coughs) before his brothers. Look what happens in verse 1. After these things Jesus walked in Galilee for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. We see here that that Jesus understands what it is to walk prudently. But we want to emphasize this is not walking in the fear of men. Because Jesus would always do those things that his father called him to do. Doesn't Jesus tell us that? As we go through the Gospel of John, we're going to see it. I only say those things that my father gives me to say. I only do the things that my father tells me to do. So with that being true... Jesus, spending his time in Galilee, knowing that the Jews sought to kill him, had also to be God's will for Jesus. Okay, Jesus, right now you're going to stay here. You're going to minister in the region of Galilee. Because we're going to see in a moment, Jesus is going to go. He's going to go where they sought him. Verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. Well, I'm so excited to do a study in Exodus. I love the book of Exodus Uh, As we go through we'll see how God prepares the heart of his people to be able to enter into his rest which applies to each of us today. How God prepares our hearts that we might enter into his rest. What is his rest? Jesus Christ. That we might enter into that right relationship with him. Well during the exodus... They developed the feasts. We're going to see the feasts as we get to, to Mount Sinai. And what we want to gather from that here, they, there were three feasts that every Jewish man had to go and be a part of. One of those was the feast of tabernacles. Now listen, I want you to see the pattern in the Bible. I want you to realize that when God lays out for us these things, they're not random. These patterns show up over and over and over again. For example, the Feast of Tabernacles. All the people would move out of their house. They would go into the backyard and move into a tent, a booth. And they'd move into this tent and they'd live in that tent for seven days. And they'd live in that tent, they'd gather together in that place. It's like family camp. If you've ever experienced a church family camp, you go out, you go camping together, that's what they were doing. But listen, what is it a picture of? What is it a pattern of? It's a pattern, folks, of God, Jesus Christ, leaving His home in heaven and dwelling, tabernacling with us. In fact, John chapter 1, I think, verse 14 says that God, the Word, became flesh and tabernacled with us. Used the same word for living in a tent. Spending that time in a tent. We see this picture that The Jewish people would celebrate. They'd gather together and and celebrate this feast that was pointing to the fact that God was going to come and provide the perfect sacrifice to set the people free from their sins, but they couldn't see it. They didn't recognize it. It just became tradition. And when things just become tradition, they become just religion, it's not a relationship. It's not, I want to draw near unto the Lord. It just becomes a ritual that we go through. Well, Jesus, considering this feast, is with his brothers. His brothers, therefore, said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Well, this is the world's wisdom. His brothers, Jesus' brothers, who the Scripture tells us, did not believe until after the resurrection. And they come to his brothers. Hey, look, if you're really the Messiah, why are you hanging out here in Galilee? Go to Jerusalem. Proclaim yourself. Wasn't that similar advice he got while he was wandering in the wilderness when Satan came to him? He, he wanted him to do all these things some other way. But what was Jesus all about? Providing for you and I an example, an example of what can be accomplished if we submit ourselves to the will of God, an example that if we will submit to God, if we will follow his will, if we will say, yeah, this is my goal. This is what I want to do. This is how I want to accomplish it. No, I want to do what God has for me. If we began our mornings with the Lord, Lord, show me what you have for me today. If we started our day or ended our day, Lord God, guide me, direct me, show me the way. God's going to do that. He's going to fulfill that answer. And, and so we have Jesus' brothers here saying, well, forget all that. It doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I have some, some friends way back in that little desert town that Doug and Darlene got to visit. They, it's permanently etched in their mind as you get out into the middle of nowhere, and all you see is dirt and a cactus. <clears throat> huh. Yeah. And you come up over the hill, and you think, oh, dear Lord, surely there has to be a town here somewhere. But well, you keep going long enough, you can find it. Well, we're, we're entrenched in ministry at, at Joshua Springs Calvary Chapel. Everything's going great. And we would have friends come to us, as Kathy and I share, that we felt called to to move to Idaho to be a part of Calvary Chapel Buell. We felt it as as deep in our being as we could possibly feel it. And they would look at us and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, listen, it, it really doesn't matter if it makes sense to you. It matters that it makes sense to God and that God laid that on our heart. And that's what we want. That's what we desire. Lord, what do you have for us? What do you have? How do you want to guide? And that's why Jesus here is listening to his brothers, but he's not going to go. Look, in verse 5, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. Do you hear what he said? My time has not yet come. His time, we're going to see as we continue on through the, through the book of John, his time that he's referring to is a crucifixion. But as He draws near into that, He tells His brothers, but your time is always ready. Your time is ready right now. Now, today is the day of salvation. Brothers, you don't have to wait until you see the resurrection to believe. You can trust in the Word of God, the words that I speak to you, Jesus would go on to say, for they are spirit and truth. Jesus speaking the very Word of God if, if we will grasp that, if we take God's word, if we apply God's word to our life, if it's not just words on a page, folks, but it's real and living and powerful, man, today is our day. Our time is always ready. There's always an opportunity. I tell you right now, tomorrow at 530, there's going to be an opportunity to sow seeds for the kingdom of God. To see little ones, young people, pour our lives into them that they might grow because they're the next generation. They're the ones that are going to take our place and move forward with the truth of God's word. Our time is always ready, Jesus said. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You remember John chapter 3? In John chapter 3, Jesus said that The condemnation of the world was this, that it loved the darkness rather than the light. Jesus as the light of the world, proclaiming himself to the people, showing himself, shining a light in a dark place. Nobody wanted to look. They didn't want to see. They didn't want to consider. They liked their their religion. They liked the fact that they were all bound up in this nice little bow. They had decided what God was like. They had decided what God could do and what God couldn't do. They had decided where God would go and where God wouldn't go. They had it all neatly tied up. If you're bad, bad things happen to you. If you're good, good things happen to you. All all this stuff that's not true. And Jesus was showing them that that's not true. That's not the truth. You're just, you're just trying to, to make all this say what you wanted to say. Listen, the truth. The truth is found in Christ, in Him, in a relationship with Him, knowing Him, drawing near to Him. So Jesus would say in verse 8, you go up to this feast. I am not yet going to this feast. If you like to write in your Bibles, I love to write in my Bible. It reminds me of the things that I've studied. Jesus said, I am not yet going. He didn't say that I am not going. A lot of people want to point to this and say, Oh, Jesus said he wasn't going to go, and then he went. We caught him in a contradiction. No, he didn't. Jesus said that I am not yet going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. His brothers were wanting him to declare himself. Jesus knew that declaring himself openly was going to be done at the cross and in the resurrection. And it wasn't time for that yet. And so that's what Jesus is declaring to his brothers. Now when he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone, and they had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Now the Jews, they sought him at the feast, and they said, where is he? And there was much complaining about the people concerning him. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Didn't Jesus say, I did not come to bring peace but a sword? That a brother would be against brother and father against son. All these things, don't we still see this today? You put a bunch of people together with different opinions about Jesus in one room and at some point they're going to start brawling. They're going to be arguing. Why? Because listen, folks, this is what's so important. Truth is absolute. There is only one truth. There's not ten truths that lead to the same place. There's one truth. When, when Kathy and I were traveling out yesterday and the day before coming out to Idaho, I couldn't just take whatever road looked good. I couldn't just say, well, I, you know, my truth is this road's going to go to Idaho. If I concentrate enough, it's going to take me there. That's not going to work. That doesn't make any sense. We, what do we do to get somewhere? We look at a map. Well, us guys, we don't admit it because we say that we have that sense already inside of us. But when Kathy is sleeping, I open up the glove box to take out the map <laughs> put it back. So we, we follow the map. The map tells us what road to take to get us where to go. But all of a sudden, when we talk about the truth about who God is and what God has, oh, now there's a hundred truths, a hundred roads, everything going a different direction. We know that's not true in any other part of our life. Well, I'll just believe if I put the TV on Channel 4 that I'll be able to see whatever is on Channel 18. Well, that's not going to work. doesn't matter if you believe it. Truth is the truth. Jesus Christ is The truth, not our opinion about them, but what does God's word say? Just read what it says plainly and you will see. We can see what the truth is. I hear the people are arguing. Listen, folks, one of my favorite things about the Old Testament is Leviticus chapter 13. Anybody love the book of Leviticus? I didn't think so. Usually I'm the only one. (laughs) The law. Listen, Leviticus chapter 13, I want you guys just to to consider for a moment. All those years ago, Moses writing out the law, writes out the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus 13, he says what to do about a leper when he's cleansed. And every time the Levitical priesthood would study the word, they get to Leviticus chapter 13 and they would say, what is this here for? I mean, we have a lot of people who come to us and we declare them lepers, but we never have anybody come and say, hey, I think I'm healed. Well, study the Old Testament. We're going we're to see that, that someone was healed of leprosy twice. Once was before the law was given, and the second one was a Gentile. So the Levitical priesthood, they're, they're looking at Leviticus chapter 13, and, well, we've got to study this, fellas. But, you know, you're never going to use it. You're never going to use it. And all of a sudden, one day... Nine guys walk into the temple at the same time and say, "Hey, we've been healed." The guy who healed us said to present ourselves to the priests. Now, how many of those guys do you think were scrambling for a copy of the scroll, of Leviticus chapter thirteen? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? What should that? What should that have screamed? Messiah's here. Messiah's here. Because this, was, this never happened before. And here it is. John chapter 9, we're going we're to see in a couple of weeks. A man born blind, given sight. What did that scream at the top of its lungs? Messiah's here. But what were the people hung up on? He healed on the Sabbath. He didn't break God's law. He broke man's. And the shutters came down. And they closed their ears. And they refused to see the truth that was before them. So some people said, man, look at the works that he does. Other people said, no, he's deceiving people. He's leading people astray. So there was a division. Well, look what takes place. Now, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went to the temple and taught. Man, he came in secret. They're all looking for him. Get the scene. They're all looking for him. Let's find that Jesus. We're going to take care of him. And then in the middle somewhere between the third and the fourth day, Jesus walks into the temple. So often he would go to the southern steps of the temple and he would stand there and teach openly. And so Jesus goes there. He goes to that place. Why? Because it's time. No, his time hasn't come, but it's time for him to share. This is God-directed, God-designed. Jesus moving forward. He stands there in the temple to teach. And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters, having never studied? All the teachers would listen to him and be amazed, and they'd say, how does he know this? We didn't teach him that. Isn't that our way? Do you know that they say the same thing about God's people still? In fact, in Acts chapter 4, when they arrested Uh, Peter and John, they brought Peter and John before them and they, they saw that they were common men, Galileans, fishermen. And they said, how have these guys, how can they speak with the authority they speak with? And they noted what? That he or they had been with Jesus. That's the key. You see, it's not about the book learning. It's about the relationship for three years, man, those guys ate, drank, breathed, slept right with Jesus. Now, I love studying. Studying is, is probably one of the things I love to do the most. But my relationship with Jesus Christ... It's not going to come because of the way that I can dissect the Greek. My relationship with Jesus Christ is going to come by the time I spend with Him. The best thing a professor ever taught me in college is that the Word of God is not a textbook. It's living. It's powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. And if you allow it to, it can change your life. But it's real. For the first couple years in, in Bible college, it was a textbook. I have to read chapter this or chapter that, and I have to diagram it, and I have to outline that chapter, and I have to turn it in. And it was all these assignments. You, do you realize you can do assignments and not be affected at all by what you're reading? We should all remember that from school, right? <laughs> I remember doing Algebra too. My son came to me with an Algebra 2 question a couple years ago. Hey, Dad, you had Algebra 2, right? Yes, son, I did. <laughs> well, Dad, help me out with this problem. It might as well have been written in French. <laughs> I did not remember not no, no part of it. Not, I passed the class. But you see, it didn't affect me. It's just get the grade. Get it out. But that's not the Word of God. The Word of God is alive. The Word of God... Went, how many times have we been hurting and sat down and read the Word and had the Word minister to us? It's living. It's real. Man, you get a passion for God's Word just reading it, just ingesting it, as Jesus said in John chapter 6. Not looking at it, touching it, Sing into it. Isn't that what Steve says? What do we want to do? We've got to make it a part of us. It's got to be a part of us. Otherwise, it doesn't bring it doesn't bring life. It's just words on a page. We want to make it a part. We want to pour it into our lives. We want to bring it in. And so we see Jesus coming to this place. He's, he's come. He's, he's presenting himself openly to teach. He's preparing to share this word that, that God has given them to give and everyone is amazed because He is the Word of God. Not He knows the Word of God. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Jesus is God the Word. He doesn't know God's Word. He is God's Word. He is God's expression to us. The expressed image of the invisible God, Colossians tells us, jesus christ god the word and so as he shares jesus answered them and he said my doctrine is not mine but his who sent me hey folks this is a real key for me it's a real verse that, that i'm going to hold on to a lot because i'm not interested in everyone's opinion about what god's word says if you line up 50 teachers they have 50 different opinions i want to know what god says And that's a little more than just who you read or who you hear or who you listen to. I want to hear from Him. I want to lean to Him. Lord, help me reconcile this passage with me. Not what so-and-so says about it. God, i got to reconcile this with me. You know, God wants to reveal Himself to us. That's why He sent His Son. So that He might be able to do it. His doctrine is not mine, but the Father's. If anyone, look at this wills to do His will, He will know concerning the doctrine. If anyone wills to do His will. How many times we read the book of James and do we see that God is calling us not to be hearers only, but doers also? Not just to hear the Word, not just to listen, but they will to do God's will. Because you see, God's revelation comes to us in obedience to him. God reveals himself to us in our obedience. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that somehow we earn something. That's not what it's about. I'm just saying when God's word is so living to you that, that you want it to guide, direct, show you your way, you want God's word to, to, to guide you through the, the trip falls of life, and we step out in obedience, God is going to reveal more of Himself to you. So that you have a deeper relationship growing with Him. God will do that work, but it's those who will to do His will that shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God, or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. You know that the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit ministers within a body, you, you want to know how to know whether or not it's true? If all the glory and all the talk is about Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything so that the Holy Spirit could be glorified. The Holy Spirit does one thing, right? Right? points to Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. Everything's toward Him. That's the move of the Spirit. When the, the Spirit moves in worship, and, and maybe the Spirit touches your heart, and you all of a sudden you just start weeping. You don't even know what's going on. You just start weeping, and you're there glorifying the Lord, and you feel like God's touching you right in your little place, right here at your special part of the pews at Calvary Chapel Buell. God's reaching out and touching you there. And the glory in your heart is all pointed toward Jesus Christ. That's real. But when someone wants to receive the glory for themselves, it's not. It's not. I always feel a little bit weird about certain things that, that certain people will do. A giant billboard with your face on it. Come here, so-and-so, teach. Come here, so-and-so's healing ministry. Who's, who's being glorified? Jesus said that the one who glorifies the Father, well, His Word is true. Not the one looking for His own accolades, but the one that points to Him. And then, listen, He says, now, He's going to go right to their hearts. This is what Jesus does. He'll do it with you if you let him. He's going to go right to your heart. He's going to point right at what the issue is. Look what he says. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? We know already they wanted to kill him, right? It's not a mystery. The people who were looking around wondering if Jesus was going to show up, they knew they wanted to kill him. Seems to me in one of those Ten Commandments that's covered. Right? Oh, but he healed someone on the Sabbath day. You see how sideways we get when it becomes about tradition and ritual instead of relationship? When it becomes all about these types of things? Well, the people answered and said, Oh, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Oh, Let's go back a few verses. Weren't you just saying a minute ago? Isn't this the guy there? Well, well, we'll see it here in just a second. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it's for Moses, but the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance but judge with righteous judgment. The scripture lays out for us that on the eighth day, the child was to be circumcised. And we understand today why God said eight days, because on that eighth day, his, his vitamin K uh, is at the highest point, which means the blood's going coag- to coagulate the best that it will. At any other time, it's a perfect day to do a circumcision. And so... God said on the eighth day. If the eighth day fell on the Sabbath, those same guys that were mad at Jesus for healing a man will circumcise a man. Do careful study as we look at the book of Joshua. When Joshua went to Jericho, how many days did they march around the city? Seven. Oops. And on the seventh day, you remember how many times they marched? Seven times. Seven times as much work they did on the seventh day. According to man's tradition, but not according to God's. And so here Jesus is revealing their their own issues. He's pointing it, like he said to his brothers, right? He's going to shine the light on their darkness. Are they going to like that? Are they going to like it? i I share with you one time, I was teaching on a Wednesday night... And I used to teach with a, a big notebook full of notes so I could like really get down in all the all the intricacies that I wanted to bring out. And I'd get frustrated because sometimes as I was teaching, I I left a part out that I wanted to talk about. So I had it all laid out and I'm teaching and going through it and there's two services on a Wednesday night. So I just finished the first service and this, this older gentleman in the crowd, he comes up and he, he says, Jackie, I, I just need to talk to you for a minute. And I said, well, sure, that's uh, no problem. What's going on? And he said, well, I just want to tell you, man, I wish you could preach like you pray. Huh. What do you mean? Well, so when you're praying, man, I can, I can hear your heart. But when you're teaching, it just sounds like words. Man, I don't know if I want to talk to you anymore. (laughs) Isn't that how we are when light shines in our little darkness? What's up with that? And so, you know, we prayed together and he left. Now I'm a little bit rattled. I got another service to do. And I went and talked to one of my my dear friends. And I told him what, what this guy had said. Now what is your friend going to tell you when you talk to your friend? Oh, just ignore that guy. He don't know what he's talking about. But I knew what he said was truth. I didn't like looking at it, but I knew it was truth. So when I went up to the second service, I threw my notes away and I taught from my heart. I've been doing that ever since. Well, I I still have my things written down in my Bible, but I'm going to lean on the Holy Spirit to guide me and show me of the things that I've studied what's to come out. And I trust that God's going to direct those things. And I felt like that was God's Word to me. Now, are you willing to hear when the light shines on your life? Are you willing to receive the not-so-pleasant Word? And say, no, you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe this is something that I, that I need to consider. Well, Jesus is giving the scribes and the Pharisees an opportunity to realize... We are all bent out of shape because he made a man whole. But we do circumcision on the same day and it doesn't bother us. There's a problem, isn't there? There's a problem. Well, now some of them were from Jerusalem and listen to what they said. Is this not the one whom they seek to kill? Now the people are all talking. Isn't this the one they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they do nothing to him. Do you rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ. word Christ, the Mashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one. Is this the one, the promised one from God, from Genesis chapter 3, the first prophecy in the Bible? Is this the one? Is He the anointed one? Waiting for, the, for those leaders of Israel to declare, yeah, look, He does all the things that the Bible said He would do. But what are they wrapped up in? They're bound up in religion. They're bound up in tradition. They're bound up in all their own concept and they don't want to see the plain word of God for what it says and for what it teaches. Well, in verse 27, however, we know that this where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one will know where he's from. Hey, we know this is Joseph and Mary's son. He grew up around here. I mean, when the Christ comes, nobody's going to know where he comes from. Where did they get that idea? Isaiah 53, 8. No one is going to declare his generation. The prophet spoke about Jesus Christ. No one's going to declare His generation. Now when we read Isaiah 53, what do we discover? It's all about the crucifixion. It's all about Jesus Christ giving His life as a sacrifice for sin. And on that day, nobody's declaring His generation. There will be no more from Him. But the people read it and say, well, that means nobody's going to know where He came from. Nobody's going to know what happened. Nobody's going to know... What's going on? Well, look what the Word declares. Jesus cried out as He taught in the temple, and He said, You both know Me and know where I am from. And I have not come of Myself, but He who sent Me is true, whom you do not know. But I know Him, for I am from Him. He sent Me. Therefore they sought to take Him, but no one laid a hand on Him, because His hour had not yet come. Do you trust God? Do you trust God enough when you're being his witness that nothing's going to happen to you that God doesn't allow? That's where Jesus is right here. They didn't lay a hand on him. He's going to pass right through the midst of them. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? Well, the Pharisees, they heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. The Pharisees and the chief priests, and they sent officers to take him. And Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer. And then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. For where I am, you cannot come. So these guys come to arrest him. Jesus says, "I'm, I'm going to be bailing soon. I'm leaving. But where I'm going, you can't come. What's he saying? I'm going to the Father. Guys, I'm going to heaven. And you're not coming. He speaks the truth. You're not coming. That's sad words, isn't it? Later on, Jesus would say to his disciples, wouldn't he? Where I'm going, you know, and the way you know. You remember? And Thomas, so that the rest of us would know said, Lord, what are you talking about? What is the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. But these guys, these guys with their heart of disbelief, Jesus saying, you're not coming. You're not coming because, not because you can't, but because you will not believe. You will not entrust yourself into the hands of God. Well, the scripture goes on. He says, then the Jews said among themselves, where is he going to go that we can't find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? They totally miss it. And what is this thing that he said? You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. They're totally bewildered. They're totally missing the point. Today, we still meet people like that. The Bible tells us that the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. And so we see the same thing taking place here, that they're just kind of blinded. What is he talking about? It doesn't make any sense. And they're closed off to the words that Jesus is sharing with them. But in verse 37, On the last day, the great day of the feast... Jesus stood and cried out. Now, don't read that. This is what they would do every day of the feast. The priests would gather these great pitchers of water. They would leave the temple, walk down the southern steps, and they would go to the Pool of Siloam. The pool of Siloam, which means scent. They would fill the pitchers of water... In that pool, they would come back to the altar and they would pour it out. Why? Well, they're signifying the water that came from the rock for the children of Israel as they went through the Exodus. And they're pouring out that water on the altar. And everybody's digging it. They're saying, wow, this is cool. We remember. But on the last day, the great day of the feast, they would go to the pool of Siloam. But they wouldn't dip the pitchers. And they would come back to the altar with empty pitchers. And they would pour out these empty pitchers. And as they poured out those empty pitchers, they would read from Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty, and floods on the dry ground. And I will pour My Spirit on your descendants, and My blessing on your offspring. And the priests would call for a moment of prayer, to pray for the coming of Messiah. And then Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto Me and drink. He who believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus said that on that great day of the feast. As they're waiting, praying for Messiah, Jesus stands up and reads it. Declares to us, He is Messiah. But this He spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in Him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Look, another key. We want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, overflowing in our life. Did you read what that verse said? The Spirit was not yet given because Jesus Christ had not yet been glorified. Now, I know it's talking about Jesus dying on the cross and the Holy Spirit being given. But now consider your life. Consider your uh, being filled or empowered by the Holy Spirit. Is Jesus glorified in your life? If Jesus is glorified in your life, then you're going to experience that overflowing of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus is not glorified in your life, the Holy Spirit's not given. Isn't that what His Word is laying out for us here? The Spirit wasn't given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now there were many from the crowd that heard this and said, truly this is the prophet Others said, this is the Christ. Some said, will Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of Him yet again. Now they said, shouldn't He come from Bethlehem? Where Where was Jesus born? But they thought they knew. You know, people make bad decisions all the time about what they think they know. But not what they really know. Well, some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. And the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who sent them and said to them, Why have you not brought him? And the officers said, No man ever spoke like him. They got to Jesus, he started talking, they got blown away, and they went back without him. Then the Pharisees answered and said, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No one else has believed in him, but this crowd does not know. This crowd that does not know the law is accursed. What part of the law did they know? The extra commandments that the Pharisees had put in the law, the Mishnah, their definition, their declaration of what the law said, their commentary. A commentary is not living and powerful. The Word of God is. commentary is man's view on what he reads in the Word of God. And so, this this group is accursed. And Nicodemus, look at Nick, he's going to make a stand. Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? So they answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. You ever notice when people start rambling that they say dumb things? Like, for example, the scribes and the Pharisees just said a dumb thing. Search the Scriptures. Have you ever tried that? Search the Scriptures and find a prophet from Galilee? Well, it's in 2 Kings 14.25, which they had. Jonah, the prophet, is from Galilee. Well, search the Scriptures. No prophets ever come from Galilee. Jonah came from Galilee. But that's beside the point. Their presupposition was wrong. What they were basing, folks, their eternal life upon was wrong. They didn't know the truth. And they made a decision based on what they thought the truth was and not what the truth was in fact. And look what happened. And everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Everyone went to his own house. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Do you hear about anybody coming to drink any water? There they are in their tradition and their ritual. Alfred Edersheim tells us a life and times of Jesus the Messiah, the Jewish social life, tells us about all the background that goes on at the feast. Folks, when Jesus stood up and he said, Here I am, the one you're praying for, nobody came. They all went to their own house. Jesus didn't have a house to go to. Where'd he go to? Mount of Olives. I went to the Mount of Olives. It's pretty awesome place. We had an opportunity while we we're there to have some prayer. We we just had a chance to go find our own little olive tree. I went and looked for a special one. One time I'll show you the picture of it. They had all these gnarly olive trees, you know, and they big old gnarled up trunks and and full branches and people gathered around them under them praying. That's not what my olive tree looked like. My olive tree looked like the deadest tree in that whole place. It was little skinny, tiny little thing coming out the ground, the trunk coming up the ground. One green shoot sticking off. It was like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. (laughs) But to me, that olive tree, that's so God. Because you have all this, it looks all gnarled and... And like there's not much to it, but with Jesus Christ, there's that life. That life reaching out. And he's still reaching out to us this morning. And he still wants us to hear his cry. Hey, if you're thirsty, come to me and I'll give you drink. I'm the promised one. I'm the truth. I'm living. I can change your life. But it won't be changed in your own concept of rules and regulations. It will be changed in the truth of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for an opportunity. Father God, hopefully not to make your word a a textbook, but rather, God, just to ingest, just to bring your word into my life and allow it to do its work. Father, I don't want to be closed-minded and have my eyes closed like the Pharisees, and all I can see is my doctrine, and I can't hear the truth that the Son of God is speaking in front of me. Lord, may we not hold on to anything so tight that we can't hear from you, who is the word. Father, allow us not to be old wineskins, and when the when the wine is poured in, they burst asunder. But Father, let us be pliable. Let us receive, God, what You're doing. Let us receive the direction You're moving. Let us just draw from You the that, that abundant life that You promise. Father, let us also be willing to say, I, want, I will to do Your will. I want to step out in the direction that You're leading me, God. Give me the boldness so one day people say, well, I don't know where he got his learning." he's been with Jesus father that's the heart we want flowing through us we don't want our names and lights we don't want people to know us we want people to know you so father allow us to bring people to you Lord Jesus help us to affect our community with the love of Jesus Christ Help us to affect the the folks around us, Father God, with the truth of who you are. And Father, when you cry out to us, here I am, you who are thirsty. May we not just go home to our house. But let us come to you and receive that living water that water from God that touches and anoints and makes us whole. May we seek that water always. May we find our time today, as we have a time of worship and prayer, may we find our time today beneath that olive tree, God, that You're calling us to. May we follow You to the Mount of Olives. And seek Your face. May You reveal Yourself to us in a relationship and not a ritual. Father, we lift this time to You, Father God, and we seek Your blessing as we just come before You in an attitude of, of humbleness and an attitude of worship. As we just seek our time, Lord Jesus, in prayer. We lay it before you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have a, a time of worship. We have the prayer counselors come on up as we close out with this worship song. If you'd like to pray, we invite you to come on up. Kathy and I will be up, up front as well. We'd be happy to pray with you. Any of the counselors be happy to, to share with you. God bless you. And go in peace.